Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. I might need to connect my phone later to some type of energy source because it's already read the battery sign. Oh, God. I have another phone, but yeah, I can I can do it, I think. I can now. So we manage this. Tell me about your questions. You said you had some ideas you had to... Um, yeah. Um, one of the hardest one of the hardest things to do, I think, is to get a show. So, for instance, I want to have a show, and that means that I need to go and find sponsorship for the show. Because I need to pay for all these other all these other things. And I was thinking that because we have a community of artists that um, revolve around you, for instance. Yeah. Um, would it be possible maybe for four, five, six of us to get together and put a group show on in Vienna? Yeah, well, we can ask also my gallerist, of course, to uh, see if he can do a show for us. Well, that would be something kind of cool. Plus, we could all publicize it on our Insta pages. And maybe we could uh, we could have you know, somebody different curating another one later on. Um, but it might be interesting just to get some, to get, you know, to meet with the people that we like and to work with them on a show. Um, and then maybe we could just um, do a virtual version of the show as well and just have the, have the two things. But I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that would mean in the end. I think, I think the big problem for artists is like you, like you're trying to um, change for them. Uh, the fact that it is about sale, it is about commissions, it is about other things like that. So, you know, being a working artist, you, you, you do either need to have somebody sponsoring you. So, you know, if, um, if the Saatchi's turned up on my doorstep and said, Chris, here's a, you know, here's a, a, a million pounds worth of sponsorship and, um, promotion i would i would say thank you very much and just get on with it but there, there, i think there are a lot of us out there that's, that that's not gonna happen straight away or in a hurry i think with the Saatchis as well they 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 mined a particular they mined a particular group of people they went and found a particular group of up-and-coming artists who were you know in art you know at the art school stage and then they pounced on them and and made them stars but i mean for us to become stars it seems a little bit harder yeah, uh, I need to think because this is like you've confronted me now with something that, you know, it's almost like you're jumping ahead because, I mean, are you thinking that a show like this would bring money and uh -huh. that first we need a show so we can make money or are you thinking the show is a community uh, like it's a matter of meeting people or is the show a financial thing? Well, that's it. You know, it's, it's almost like the question, how long is a piece of string? You know, we could, um, I mean, there are shows that are just like loss leaders, you know, you put the show on, people know about the show, the, the press comes to the show, they, they, uh, they cover it. It attracts, you know, people who like, 
coming to shows and they come and they come and look at it but then you might you might twiddle your thumbs for the last three days of the show and the four people turn up for the rest of the whole operation so it's either either a vanity project or you're increasing your profile by getting some sort of recognition in you know art journals and you know it's about becoming a name maybe that's the maybe that's the long game um I mean, if you have, have stuff it, on the wall, um, more it, or less, let's say for me as an environmentalist, or yeah. the the way I sort of put my course together and the way I'm creating everything now. I had a big art gallery, you know. I was on the way to being an asset in this art gallery, you know, yeah. which is selling famous artists like not only Andy Warhol, but I don't even know the other names. <laughs> we, I don't one, even know if they still well, have a... One of the names was Nina Schrodel or Nina. Um, yes, Nina Levet. Yeah, Nina but anyway, Levet, so. they had a few famous people, for example, one of the newer artists than me, I think. He was called Jonah Sarvinsky and he was working for Alicia Keys yeah. and different other famous people because he was a street artist and he was had been discovered yeah. Before he came to my gallerist. Yeah. He was already more or less making it. So uh, what I am trying to say is I left this gallery because I was feeling out of alignment with art. Because I was feeling that doing art physically as a product, as a sort of physical touchable object is already like waste you know like the planet now is already in a state where we don't have resources to create physical you know goods yeah. even that are essential goods you know so non-essential goods like art i know we could discuss about that and we would probably find art to be essential but in my thinking as a more designer and applied artist i was thinking it's only justifiable to do arts if it's on objects that are actually useful to use you know functional objects so, a philosophical discussion which i guess as an abstract photographer it's a bit di different but i was really questioning if we need the physical artworks well um oh you mean you'd want to put them on as virtual artworks yeah this was part of the reason i actually stopped uh, doing art was because i didn't feel good about silk screen printing so even though i was doing it for ob objects like a sofa that actually had a print so you know even if I made a print you know at the end it would have been a print it's but I, I didn't feel good about the color going into the water you know and that sort of this aspect of of not being environmentally feasible and then I thought okay you know now I've had sort of 10 years to think about it and then I thought okay now I'll become a political activist because I know we have only five years to save the planet, okay? So if this is true, if five years are left to save the planet, you know, should we even do art? That was one of the questions I essentially had. But, okay, now my mentor, when I said to him, I want to serve the planet, I want to be, you know, a political activist, he said, yeah, but first you have to make money, otherwise I won't let you into my mastermind. Anyway, it's a, it's a long story. But more or less, money is power, you know. And so I'm sort of trying to be an influencer. Since the influencers didn't take me seriously without also having an audience, 
I tried to buy the audience that didn't work, you know, <laughs> and so on. So I'm sort of starting again, but I'm thinking a show is still a traditional thing because it's still based on, for example, you're saying journalists could write and then we would have, you know, we would be more publicized. But now COVID has come in the way and now sort of maybe it's even better to be virtually present than to be physically in one place. You know what I mean? No, I, I, I like the shows I went to recently, the ones I publicized on my, yeah, my the Instagram. the Fulham, Fulham, uh, whatever, yeah, yeah, um, and that was very, I mean that that's that's really really quite amazing. I'm I'm not, I get I get the feeling that you know even with virtual art, you're still it still has a giant carbon footprint and possibly a bigger a way bigger carbon than a painting or a photograph in as much as you have to switch on machinery in order to appreciate it um, that is true but on the other hand in Vienna I don't even know what the restrictions are mm. I have no idea if we are allowed to even you know open yeah. a gallery right now probably yes by the end of the year yes yeah but then on the other hand it's like okay I made a tremendous effort to be in my gallery okay like I made like an Im immense effort to be the one that was chosen by my gallery. Okay. Yeah. And then I sort of lost their trust because I don't know what happened. You know, they sort of didn't really feature me anymore. So now, okay. Going back there and saying, now we are like, not, it's not just me. We're many. Yeah. And you know, the gallerist will say, okay, you know, but even you are not well, you know, like, I don't even know what he will say, but, it's of course not that easy let's put it that way like we can try but it's not like without a gallerist I think it almost like that's the way I started you know I started to put on shows by myself in my apartment and you know like these underground shows I did a lot of that also and they work good shows but it's also very very expensive it's very very consuming so I, I actually, for me personally, I don't want to invest my money there again because I already did it for five or ten years. You know what I mean? I've already invested maybe hundred projects putting on shows. It does sort of work, but also not. You know what I mean? Can you hear me? Mm. Do you have your phone or iPad? Does it go blank after time? Do you have it does it does kind of shut down and then I yeah you shouldn't back. you should turn that off before we go on that means it's uh, called auto lock it's in the display preferences of your iPad so if you go in settings display yeah there it says auto lock and you should put it to never because then it won't go off okay I mean now we can leave it or we can start over I can I also we we can carry on I, I'll it's kind of it kind of warns me that it's about to go off and then okay because with lisa we turned it off and i never had an interruption uh, yeah. then so it doesn't really do that yeah well this is my 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 concern is that for me it's very very expensive to put on a show like that like it's not something cheap you know because you need the space and you need the catalog and you know i've done it it's really 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 like it, it costs it's not something easy to do so if the gallerist already has the space you know then it's easier with the gallerist or let's say i told you also all these museums that i'm in contact with 
it's almost easier to get a, a professional to do it because they're always doing it rather than to do it ourselves, you know, and then have, I know they can be cool, these underground shows, but it's also really expensive. So we need someone to pay. And I can't yeah, really that's, pay I mean, for that's it. That's a great difficulty, of course. And it is, I mean, it was just a question. Yeah, I mean, we could do it, but I've already done it so many times. And I've seen, let's say, sales-wise, it was super unsuccessful for me. Yeah, and that was the other thing I was thinking. It would end up as either, a, it would come across as either a vanity project or um, a loss leader. Yeah, because a gallerist has established, in order yeah. to survive, a gallerist needs paying customers. And that means they have them already. It's a bunch of people who are prepared to pay for art. They choose yeah. their gallerist and then the gallerist sort of chooses the art. The problem is if we arrive as seven people, they will say, okay, I like Chris Ward. I like, let's say Liz, you know, and then the rest. Okay. Bye-bye. I mean, I'm guessing that is how it works because I don't think they will take it as a collective unless we are one name as a collective. And then they are sort of saying, okay, we like this collective yeah. of people and we will do a show where we can feature all of them. Yeah. Which could be possible. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I'm no, sort I mean, of thinking out loud. Sort of, yeah, I'm just thinking out loud as well. I'm just wondering if that's a, a possibility. Um, it is, it is. But I mean, I'm the difficulty, like isn't. I say, the difficulty is, as you say, it's um, people, if you're, if you're using commercial galleries, people want a commercial gain from it. And if they want commercial gain from it, we need to have work on the wall that's going to sell and customers are going to buy it. And that's always, that's, Always the I don't think that's the way it works, honestly. I mean, honestly, it's the uh, it's like almost like the gallery is also an artist, you know. So it's almost like the the buyers are following the taste of the gallerist. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the gallerist has this supreme knowledge, and so the, the 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 buyers trust the gallerist. And if the gallerist says yes, it's like they open the door, and then the buyers buy because yeah, yeah. it's sort of like almost a certification process. And that is how it happened for me. Like I put on a lot of underground shows. I was in a lot of shows, but as soon as the gallerist said yes to me, I was in the music. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. you know, almost yeah. like a door. Yeah, it's just about, it's about just being given permission to be in that space yeah but we cannot hijack that like it's uh, almost like uh, i can tell you we can try to hijack it but at the end we won't make money i think with that you know yeah so what i am trying now is to teach artists how to hijack the system via online sales yeah which is a totally different idea which is without certification without costs it's sort of you you hijack the person's mind yeah i think that's i think that's important as well because you know there are people who will like things that they see and will follow those people and will kind of be cheerleaders support them yeah people. i mean cheerleaders and... it's also actually a subtle manipulation that takes place to be honest yeah of course, it's not just cheerleaders. It's actually you have to educate your clients to buy <laughs> because yeah. you have to teach them why buying is important and so on. Yeah. So you're actually manipulating them. But, you know, then it's a matter of belief. Is art something they should buy or should they spend the time actually being 
vegan activist or you know what I mean it's like are you actually putting your eggs in the right basket if you're teaching buyers to buy art or is it easier you know is it better for the planet to teach people to be vegans while you're wasting your time on a vanity thing you know what I mean yeah yeah that's sort of one of the thoughts I'm having in my course that you can do both that you can actually do both you can actually teach clients to be art buyers and also teach them that the planet needs them to show up in many besides being art buyers i mean that's that's powerfully um you know resonant with a lot of people i i i mean in in a way um instagram is a vanity project you know i'm i'm putting my work up and everyone else is putting their work up and it is like a free showcase for what we think we want to say through our work. So I suppose, you, I mean, you can add that together with the environmental things. I mean, I, I strongly believe in, in the power of veganism in terms of, you know, being a, a, a change for, for the good. I mean, we are, everyone walks around saying how good they are and then they, they kind of never count how many dead animals they've, <laughs> dead animals they've been bought bought and sold in their lifetime it's you know it's it's a phenomenal amount of things yeah but say we have exactly five years blind eye to the um the degrees of cruelty that yeah but now it's not a he is saying either we do it within five years either we become vegan as a planet yeah or we will go extinct so uh, there is no more of that you know how many animals have we killed you know that's already the past like this is already now either do yeah. it or die either do it or I mean, die it's a, like, it's a consequential thing as well yeah absolutely so um, that is why it's actually so I mean, so uh pressing also uh, that we shouldn't maybe put our energy uh, let's say a show takes one year you know to get that thing set up and then we could also spend this one year actually being online being influencers and getting people to go vegan which would be the number one condition for humanity to survive so you know it's like do this or die okay so um i don't know exactly how we can think about anything else anymore i mean the the only thing you're up again is a sort of habit and tradition you know um, the habit of eating meat and the the tradition of but the only way to change it is by government intervention because uh, as i think uh, andrew weil said in this last interview with rich roll People eat what is cheap, uh, what is available, right? Yeah. And what is sort of affordable. Available, affordable, you know what I mean? And if that is not made available and affordable, then it's not going to work. So it's a government uh, issue. It's actually, but without the, the pressure of the people, they cannot make this decision. I mean, they won't make it because it goes against industry uh, interests. So, you know, I don't think they know the urgency. It's somehow almost like it's been, you know? Yeah, I think we we just don't have the the kind of uh, sensibility a lot of the time to actually let people know what the implications of eating meat have have, have become. I mean, it it you know, it's an ex you know, when we're talking about it now, you're talking about it now as an existential thing for humanity um where actually really it was an existential thing for all the animals that got 
swallowed up in this giant machine that's sort of grinding them into pulp and making people swallow them. Um, you know, our, uh, our existence then is pivoting on the fact that, you know, we've finally worked out, oh, actually, this is a really cruel and pointless thing that we don't need to do anymore. Um, in a way, that's not quite good enough. There are so many misconceptions because, you know, this overheating thing, it's going so far that if we don't change it, everything on this planet will die. You know, there will be no plants left, nothing. Because some people say, yeah, yeah, at least humans are gone and then, you know, the animals will be happy and they will survive, but they won't because there is, yeah. you know, the overheating means there will be no life on Earth. We have, we have this sort of vanity that humans are the most important thing that's ever happened. Um, but we are. That's the thing, because now we are the thermostat species. So either we as humans plant the trees again or everything that is alive will die on this planet. And since we don't know about life outside this planet, uh, it's, it's life itself will, will die. Yeah. It's not and, just about planting trees, though. You see, that's, that's another, that's another cra crazy misconception it is that, in a way it is that, about planting trees that's been, because that's been, mark, that's been marketed by companies that are doing unethical things they, they, who will come to you and say yeah well if you buy a product we'll plant five trees yeah um, i know what you mean yeah, that's, of course. That's, just, yeah. that's total garbage yeah. i mean that, that's yeah, a yeah. i know what you mean it's species extinction yeah, itself that is one of the things what they're actually yeah. really doing and what they're actually really doing doesn't isn't offset by planting five trees. No, no, no. It's, it's actually it, it's species totally extinction ridiculous. also, besides veganism, of course. I mean, you know what yeah. I mean. It's just that the seas are dying and we need well, to stop killing the fish. The of habitats and, and the loss of um, agency of the, of the things that live there. And you, once, you, once you unbalance an, uh, an ecosystem, yeah, that is it. It, wants, that is it. it wants to reestablish itself. But, you know, if you're continually harvesting sections of it, then it can't reestablish itself. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Sorry, I was saying planting correct. trees as a metaphor for restoring, you know, biodiversity in yeah, but in these dead zones, which are not to plant a tree. Which yeah. tree are you supposed to be planting? Is that tree supposed to be even? Yeah, is that no, tree providing habitat? Is that tree? You know, what I mean? is, like, is all about that. Yeah, he's all about that. That where you are actually restoring it, it has to be, you know. The wilderness that is going to grow there, you know, naturally in this area. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it's about restoring wildlife as it is yeah. meant to be in this, you know, in this area. I heard a great podcast, by the way, by a guy called Fried. I forgot his first name now. Yeah. And he, Jason Fried with talking with Tim Ferriss. And he actually uncovered ancient seeds. Did you know that? It's like his hobby. Yeah. Did you know that? I didn't know. Yeah, he, he sort of bought so much land that was already like, you know, taken over by agriculture. So it was all due to all these chemicals. And he went uh, deeper and deeper so he could find those ancient seeds that had already been there since ancient times. Yeah. And yeah. he's doing this with large, large areas of land. And he is bringing back all these incredible plants. Yeah. And yeah. now all these animals have gone there like a garden of eden yeah like the strangest birds that nobody has ever seen and you know everything is is restored in there in these places so i actually like the i actually like the idea of um it's like it's like in europe you, you if you go around europe you hardly ever find 
what would have been the top predators in the in in the past uh, existing anymore. One because the um, the bottom of the food chain has been so depleted by human activities that it can't support these predators, and two the, the human activities have changed the landscape so far that those predators don't have anywhere to, to exist. But if you put the predators back in, then you, you start restoring the balance um, yeah. num numbers of different things within, yeah. within the ecosystem. And then that starts to re restore what's at the bottom of the ecosystem because they can't consume, they can't over consume at the yeah. bottom. That's and what Salish is... feeds upwards. Salish has this uh, seven-part series on YouTube, which you could watch. It's called How Not to Go Extinct, he called it. It's yeah. a seven-part series, and it's all about that. It's all about that the ecosystems themselves are balanced, you know. And yeah. there's this example of the elephant that is carrying, you know, big trunks and so on. And, you know, it's all like meant to be. Otherwise, you know, if one of those species is not there, then all the others can't survive. Yeah. You get there's there needs to be, I mean the, the the fact that nature would require a long time to evolve a replacement yes predator uh, at the top of the food chain um, is one of the things that you know it took humans quite a, a, a long time to learn and you know for the ridiculously short period of time that humans have been on the planet the the you know the tendency to develop technology that can qu quickly kill and harvest huge numbers of animals has just been the most damaging thing you can imagine yeah he and talks the, about that it's actually his main theme in yeah. all of his uh, in this series that i recommended it's all about that yeah i mean we kind how of, the way we procure our food has actually you know led to <laughs> industrialization and also in this way has sort of you know, led to deforestation and how this has led the climate to heat up. Yeah. And you kind of hope that at some point, you know, the, I mean, the, the, the sort of strange thing that consumerism is, you know, where you manufacture things that are good for a little while and then you're told within a few months, this is no good anymore because we brought out this other one and then you go and you buy that one and then you know a few months later they're going well this isn't this isn't this isn't where it's at anymore we've, we've just made this new one um or products that kind of um self-destruct subtly as you're using them so to force you to actually go and buy another one i mean the only people who are making people who are getting any advantage out of that are the guys who are the shareholders of the companies that ask ask their product managers to develop these things so um, I don't know. I don't know when the majority of people will get that. You know, you can go and buy uh, secondhand things, or you can go and refurbish things. Um, lots of people don't even think about that. They just they just know they're going to be putting. They're going to spend a thousand pounds on on a phone, and within three years they're going to put it in the dustbin. It it doesn't cross their mind that you know. Yeah, but this is why we are actually doing this podcast. I mean, even though, you know, we are also destroying the environment by our, as you are saying, it's also harmful to do this, what we're doing here. But how yeah. can we not do it? 
well it's we're, we're kind of using what we've got to, to kind of um yeah get to somewhere else yeah you know um that's uh, we as a species we, we kind of always because we are overreaching so much there's no there's enough there's no action we can take as as individuals that doesn't have an impact yes because the the our overreach is, is so is so massive you know you, you leave your house and then you leave your house and walk down the road and already there's there's something monetizing your actions or somebody making a profit out of your movement at that moment in time whether that's you know the coffee shop that you pop into i mean i mean there's a there's a massive pyramid i mean that one that one cup of coffee is the tip of a pyramid of yeah. activities that you wouldn't you don't don't even imagine i mean you, you can imagine somebody cleaning the water to send to the shop you can imagine uh somebody uh making the electricity to send to the shop you can think of somebody um harvest growing and harvesting the coffee beans somewhere else and the, all the all the other things that go wrong with that, with that. you know we, we you know every single it's it's the ripples sort of spreading out from your smallest action you know, is, is, is making somebody some money somewhere and using up resources and, um, you know, warming up the planet, even though, you know, it seems quite innocuous just leaving your house and walking to a coffee shop and, and buying something. Yeah, but I'm also already... Yeah, I'm, pro I'm probably not, not telling you anything to new. Deal with. No, 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 I'm saying it's very hard to deal with it, really. Yeah. This is also part of the paradoxon of my uh, in Instagram that I cannot really talk about it because it's like it is too defeating to even mention, right? It's yeah. almost yeah. like you have to be like ritual. You talk about things that people relate to, like yeah. a thin body, you know, or being alcohol free or, you know, something that is like small, you know, and then yeah. you can catch them sort of. Yeah, they all want that we're, we're all part of the problem, you know, and... Yeah, but we can't either kill ourselves, like, I mean, that would be the most logical consequence, right, to just end it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a true environmentalist shouldn't really <laughs> think otherwise, right? Yeah, I mean, to be an environmentalist, you still have, you're still stuck redeploying the machinery that you're trying to work against. Um so that's your great paradox is you're stuck. Uh, I want to save the planet, but I've got to partially destroy a bit of the planet in order to save the planet. Oh, dear. I'm in a loop. Yeah, plus we're trying to really save humans, which is also really, honestly, it yes, is necessary. Is the, it is, is necessary, but who do we keep? <laughs> but the great, Sorry. But, but the, the great difficulty, is, of course, is that in nature... Um, if you take any population, it has a it has a, a range of it, you have a range in that population from you know in any particular measurement, any particular metric. So if the conditions suddenly change, you will get an extinction of the proportion of that population, and the ones that are best adapted to the new conditions will be able to kind of continue somehow. What we're not accepting as humans is that perhaps we have created our own uh mass um shift in our conditions and that in instead of uh evolving ourselves out of the way we just apply technology to 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 uh 
ameliorate the problems that we're creating. And so we're kind of just galloping ever further into the problem by, by you know, finding technical solutions that also exacerbate the problem. You know, the, the great arrogance, of course, is that we are, you know, we think we are the best thing that's ever happened. Um, but we might just be one of a long line of things that happens on the planet. You know, we need to just accept that we, we could and morally should go become extinct if that's what uh, the conditions dictate, you know. Well, I think we're all aware of that, right? Yeah. I mean, this is not some big secret. It's like almost an everyday reality. We know we're, we're going there, but... You know, we... we, we people don't people still don't understand it because they kind of like you know when they, when when uh people go out to save animals and they're thinking right i'm going to save polar bears i'm going to save lions i'm going to save whales i'm going to say you know they don't even they don't even imagine saving bacteria or saving yeah. saving you know grass it, it just doesn't cross their mind it's like oh it's only grass that's only bacteria it's only but actually, those, those are in in numbers terms, the bacteria are going to be the most numerous things. And when we go, they'll still be here, and they will. No, still I'm not be... sure they will be. I mean, it depends. I don't think so because, as I told you, I think they will overheat. be. They've, they've lived in far more extreme conditions than we have, and they do. Live yes, in far but more extreme uh, conditions than yeah, we do. I don't know. I don't know how what heat they can resist. I don't know. They, they can resist. There are extremophiles that can exist ex in extremely high temperatures and extremely high pressures that can live. Uh, beneath the surface of the earth they can live inside rocks they can live on chemicals that the rocks are made out maybe of. they can cool the earth in in some way later <laughs> maybe maybe yeah but um the largest accelerant to the to, to the, the the temperature of the planet is the fact that we use machinery and machinery produces heat and it also produces greenhouse gases yeah and farming is also absolutely <laughs> absolutely horrendous in terms of what it does um, to, to planetary temperature. Yeah, so we need solutions. Yeah, we need solutions. But that is that is a very human way of thinking. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. thinking is... <sighs> yeah, we were just now developing the titles for some blog posts and I was saying because we had mindset as one of our chapters. And I was saying how to stop thinking, 10 ways to stop thinking. <laughs> yeah. Five tips to underuse your thoughts, you know. How I, to... I found when I was doing, when I was doing my um, meditation, I mean, I should, I should really go back to it because it, it was really cool. But when I, when I was doing my meditation, you know, one of the things... You know, when you when you achieve the highest level of this meditation, it's all about being in the now and seeing everything as it is, rather than um, being uh, a, a a sort of a victim to all the snapshots you've taken in your life that you compare with what's what's real. In other words, we don't tend to our mind doesn't live in the real world; it lives in an imagined world, a world that is a construct. And even when you're looking at something, you can see exactly what it is. You don't actually accept that as being the reality. So we always have negative thoughts about things that we see, even though that thing is not actually doing anything else. And another person who is 
culture who had a different point of view on it could look at it and they they could they could really like it so you know you have people who hate spiders they don't even know why they hate spiders yeah um and you'll see another person who, who's fascinated what is what is this animal what why is it so beautiful what what does it do how does it do it you know what i mean there's like a different two two people with two different snapshots of what's real yeah i've thought about it quite a lot i must say about thinking and <laughs> thoughts and how to change thoughts yeah we're and just how words are thoughts. also not really you know any measure of anything like words are just almost you know shortcomings it's not like reality has nothing to do with how we can formulate what we think reality is there is just difference between yeah. what our mind is able to grasp and what is real yeah and we, we need i mean there's a lot of a lot of you know religious philosophy is about punishing ourselves or you know being worthy or not worthy and that that feeds in to the way people treat each other and treat the planet too because there's sort of a, there's an imagination that you know things are right and things are wrong um in other words you know, you're over overlaying a value judgment on things that just are you know they're not, mm -hmm. they're not they're not doing anything right or doing anything wrong they're just being yeah like human human we talk ourselves as human beings but we're not really very good at being just being in the moment just being you know what i mean yeah, it's, of only, it's only when something uh, happens that wakes us up and snaps us out of our constructed reality and we see things, you know, differently. I mean, this is why I like, you know, traveling. It's like when you go to a completely different country, you have no major preconceptions over something you, you're seeing for the first time that you've never ever seen before. You know, you're fascinated by so many more things because you, you your eyes are kind of just trying to, collect these snapshots um to, to formulate your new opinion but actually what what you're getting is you're seeing things for the first time you know and it's it's really nice um it's really been nice being having a goddaughter and just watching how she is just her she has this amazing stare where she just looks at things and takes really spends a long time trying to take things in because it's all new everything is new um, and she hasn't had, she has a number of things now that she has opinions on, but a lot of things she's seen, she has no opinion on. And she says so she gets to see it properly. And that's what we don't do. We don't see things properly. We don't see people properly. We don't see problems properly. We are, we've already decided what it is and how we're going to do, what we're going to do with it, even without individuating it and seeing what it is, what it actually is. Yeah, there is this interesting podcast that I listened to a few days ago with Andrew Weil and Rich Roll, and they were talking about, for example, interesting, another one that is not enough. Another podcast was about um, traumatized journalists, okay, that go in yeah. war zones, right? And when they come yeah. back, they actually become depressed because their level of activation isn't there anymore. Yeah. Even this fear of being killed or whatever, you know, being in a new 
yeah, you said being in a new situation or your goddaughter, you know, but it's really whatever is new is stimulating our brain in a new way. Yeah. And when it's intense, when the emotion is intense, no matter if it's positive or negative, it can be very addictive. When this intensity goes down, we, we sort of lose, you know, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and... I, know, I know exactly that <laughs> feeling. It's like... Um... I watched a TV program once and this guy was driving the Bugatti Veyron, which is mm. capable of going at, I think, mm. nearly 300 miles an hour or something. Similar. Yes. I can't remember the exact yeah. Number. yeah, it's the best, so anyway, one of the fastest cars. Mm -hmm. So he drove, he drove the Veyron. Uh, he took it somewhere where he could actually approach and maybe achieve that speed. And then, the, you know, he stopped, he stopped, uh, sorry, finished reaching the speed, whatever it was, the speed he reached, you know, and we were all kind of amazed. Wow, look, look at how fast this car is going. And then he opened the door of the car and he was looking out of the, the door of the car and they looked at the speedometer and he was still doing like 180 miles an hour or something. It was like, you know, he had just become used to going at a very extreme speed and then another very extreme speed by most people's standards he, he was able to open the door of the car. It was almost like he felt he could step out of the car while it was rolling. But when he looked at the speedometer, of course, it was still going along at 180 miles an hour or something. And that's, and that's, that's the way our mind gets in the way of what's real. It just, it, it works by comparison. You know, this thing is hotter than that thing. Um, you know, when you say to somebody, uh, an ice cube is hot, They'll say, no, it's not. It's really, really cold. But yeah, it's hot in, in comparison to something that's not as hot as an ice cube, which is the way that our brain works, you know. Yeah. Um, but we've been told an ice cube is, is cold. So, of course, it's like, no, no, this is really cold. It's, it's, a, it's an ice cube. It's, it's mm -hmm. freezing. Um, but, you know, you go out into deep space and that ice cube is bloody hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not, you know, it's way hotter than lots of things around it. Um, and that's and that's the same with with you know i mean when i was at um when i was at cardiff doing my postgrad in journalism they said look it's going to be there are going to be things you're going to see that you can't show to the general public because they are really really extreme but they are going to be things that will replay in your head a lot because they are yeah so horrific and then they showed us a really some really horrible footage which i can completely remember because it was so horrific um but, you know, that's as, as, as you're saying, you know, when things become intense, you know, everything else suddenly becomes bland because we only work on comparison. You know, this yeah. is, this, you know, somebody going at 15 miles an hour in 1912 in a car, they probably thought they were doing pretty, pretty well. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's bloody fast. 15 miles an hour. Um, and, you know, a modern car going like 60 miles an hour that would be mind-blowing to them just, yeah oh. this is why actually meditation is now on the rise because we are approaching a situation where the go go and the faster faster and the, you know what i mean we are used yeah. to always the next level because our brain needs it and we need the faster one because we get so used to having it yeah. Fast, 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 fast. And now I think this paradigm is, is crashing on us. Yeah. Because with the heat, we can see, oh, no, you know, how can we 
make it cool down. So cooling down is bland. It's boring, right? But it's it's sort of necessary. We're sort of understanding it. Yeah, it's the whole sensation of more and more and more, faster, faster, faster. Um, Hasn't worked, you know. It does. It doesn't work, you know. But we never knew it, and now we, we have know these it. Sort of absurdist yeah. sorts sorts of things, like you know, where people, you know, people are earning like a billion pounds a day, you know, and you're thinking, well. But what are you going to do with it all? <laughs> What's the point? Um, but it's that's just that's just another example of you know the 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 dial being turned up to eleven because you know, for that for that person there there must be there must be a way to earn more than that you know why why am I not earning two billion pounds a day or three billion pounds a day? So you know the the fact that they're earning that much is is the key um, to their to their motivation. But it doesn't ultimately it doesn't mean anything on the on the grand scale of reality. It's not you know, it's not helping. It's not making them <laughs> making them better or or worse. It's just, you know, it's just a, a strange benchmark that uh tells them they're doing better than they were doing the day before. So yeah, we, we kind of just live on comparison. It, everything's comparison. This is yeah. a poor person. Or a poor person in England compared to a poor person in um, India. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the poor person in England is probably you know several orders of magnitude richer than the poor person in India. But you'd have to you'd have to plonk him down in that in in a, in a context where poverty is measured on a different scale before he actually realizes how well off mm -hmm. he probably is. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say, because it's all about the brain, right? We're talking about the brain resetting to a point where the comparison scale can be sort of sustainable. Yes. And where our, our gratitude and our... Um, the way we perceive our reality can sort of, you know, make us slow down. Yeah. Because we can sort of understand, oh, we're actually doing well. And we must actually, you know, dial it down because we're already doing well. And now, you know, how can we be happy with even less and less and less and less, you know, and, and how can the brain. And then we are at retrol again because that is the athletic pursuit then, you know, the endurance, yeah. for example. They go running, you know, forever and ever. And it's actually quite sustainable because it's not, you know, hurting many things. If I you're just... That, I think that's quite exciting, really. I mean, that you've said it like that. It makes... You know, human, human endeavor is, is often around, you know, using machinery to achieve ever greater heights um but you can have like a really you can have like the most unfit uh person sitting behind the wheel of a sports car going along the road quickly i keep going back to car analogy for some stupid reason um but training for training to run yeah you know, the human body is incredible is is absolutely incredible although it's not evolving it's maybe not evolving quickly enough um but you know, within the, within the range of what we can achieve, you know, when you watch the Olympics or you talk to about Rich Roll and, and these other extreme athletes, they're, they're, 
actually putting their mind into um, achieving things that the body is designed to achieve. And that's quite, that's very powerful. And also it has a smaller footprint in reality, unless they travel somewhere. Yeah. But let us say they, they, they can just get out of their door and they just walk in the, you know, yeah. it will actually be quite sustainable. I mean, of course, they eat more than yeah. normal humans, but yeah, that's the only thing <laughs> I can think of. But at least they don't use a car. Uh, they don't use their computer while they're doing it. Yeah. They are not, you know, spreading bad energy with their thoughts you know they're sort of focusing on actually something that is quite meditative and actually beneficial almost yeah i do like the meditative quality you know um running cycling, yeah. walking swimming they all have this rhythmic component which i find quite comforting so if i'm doing any of those activities the uh, I've got my heartbeat rhythm, I've got my breathing rhythm, I've got my the cadence of my feet hitting the, the tarmac or my arms swinging over and the, the sound of the water. Um, whatever it is I'm doing, it's I like that kind of rhythmic thing and it is very meditative, but I can empty my mind and think about it. Although crashed was <laughs> crashed on my bike. It's partly because I was meditating while I was ride, riding, I was musing on something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like a there's like a whole raft of possibility that comes out of you know physical activity in in that sense. And you, like I say, you, like I'm thinking, you don't need much equipment to do it or to do it, and you don't need um, you don't need to be using you know electrical or uh, fossil fuel power technology to do it. You just and you are more in, in touch with nature yeah. because that is the first thing they actually taught me when I was coached by, you know, Chris was to go out into nature. So yeah. actually also this helps you to understand, you know, yeah, that you are connected and yeah. you experience it even when you run and you feel this connection to. Yeah. Let's say to the coach, you know, and for me, when I was also listening to ritual while I was running, I was also feeling connected to their world, you know, the, the whole world they were talking about, you know, I sort of had this first hand experience of it. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, you are, you know, as, as people go, I find you quite empowered. You, you kind of have, um, a lot of motivation which is really good there are a lot of people out there who have very limited motivations their motivations are you know they, they sell their time to other people and so their motivations is about you know fulfilling you know somebody else's um desires so when you you know when you're talking about running you know your your body is telling you what you need to in order to to you need to fulfill you what you need to be supplying at any given time uh, and your mind is sometimes your mind when you're in a positive state is is actually um, helping you to achieve that because it is controlling all of those things that you're doing and when you I think if you maybe even if you switch off your thoughts while you're doing it and go into a meditative state 
you could probably you probably find you're doing it better um i think possibly yeah i might be wrong of course yeah being wrong is also another thing it's actually really interesting they were talking about this with the other podcast which was about that andrew weil said our knowledge is so limited yeah and he collected facts from uh medical practices of the past you know yeah. where people just did absurd things to heal others which were you know now we know it's completely counterproductive you know but at yeah. the time they thought they were doing something you know correct yeah. and so he is saying these are examples to show us you know that what we as humanity are trying to do is completely you know based yeah. on 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 what does it call it hybris you know like we are yeah. thinking we are right but we have nothing to prove yeah it's very it is very hubristic i mean we um there's you'll notice or rather i notice i'll talk about my experience and not not pretend that i'm talking for everybody but um i notice that when i go to the doctor the doctor now will be sitting behind a computer asking me questions and the computer's going to lead him somewhere or yeah somewhere. and then once she's decided what's what that thing is she will make a prescription yes based on what the computer says so she's made the prescription let's say i go let's say i go to the pharmacist i get that i fulfill the prescription and i start taking it the next thing that will happen is because that thing i'm taking is changing the way my body is functioning it might make me ill so then i have to go back to the doctor and then they'll ask me lots of questions about how it made me ill and then she'll find that she'll come to another another pharmaceutical. Yeah. Which she'll either pair up with the one I've got or she'll be she'll reduce the dose of the other one I've got. So it it when you're dealing with a, a complex organism, you know, like three trillion cells, plus all the commensal organisms that live in inside yeah. like that, might be another three trillion cells. Yeah. And then you you're trying to simplify it down to giving me a series of tablets yeah he's saying this it, absurdity it's, it's an experiment at best yeah he's saying we're a human experiment yeah it is and, and, no, and, and it's absurd than, than and it's absurd an how how doctors are egotistic about it you know let any skepticism skepticism you know they don't allow it because it's you know yeah i mean they have i mean admittedly they have a level of expertise i mean they, they do understand how the body works it's not true because he is saying for example he met these healers right who are healing just with their hands because in reality what is healing it's all about the body healing itself right even yeah. without an intervention the body heals itself yeah so at best the doctor can only give a name to it right and then they give you some substances that you, as you say they're experimental we don't even know what would happen without yeah. you know so okay cancer yes they can sort of it's partially it's, treat some symptoms yeah but uh, still we don't it's know not, it's not like it's not like mathematics it's yes like exactly there's no equation like chemistry yes. you, you you're you're confronted by a complex organism that's running you know you've got a whole bunch of cells that are running in concert with each other trying to do something that we recognize as life and then somehow you think that you, you know that if you add 
if you give a person a particular series of chemicals, it create it changes the system slightly to do something else. But you don't, you know, yeah, you really don't know when you look. Yeah, at it's, one a, it's actually or their their they're hybrids not, or their. It's actually that the part that is worst of it all. I think you know yeah. the fact but that no, they don't no recognize people, this. No two people will be the same. No two people. Yes. Same, yes. Uh, same makeup and their guts. Yes. No two people will have in, encountered the same series of diseases at the same <laughs> same points in their life. You know what I mean? You're yeah. kind of really making a little bit. You're making an educated guess, yes. at best, about one reducing the sensation of the of the symptoms. And remember, the symptoms are generated by the body, and the symptoms are often the body trying to cope with the thing that that's happened to you. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, so you're going, okay. Well, I'll dull the, the effect of the symptoms because they're uncomfortable. Yes. Then I will, um, and that will make the person feel better and then maybe this chemical here is going to attack the root cause somehow and maybe just sort of steer it off course enough that the person the person's body will be able to uh, defeat it a little bit more quickly or, or a bit more effectively you know what I mean it's like it's it's a very kind of uh, you're, you're dealing it's with something that's like, at a moving target let's put it that way exactly exactly yeah. And then as soon as you add something, you're changing what it is already. It's like yeah. Schrodinger's cat. You yeah. know, is, is the cat dead in the box? Was the cat, or are you looking in the box? Or is the fact of looking in the box to see the cat killing the cat? Or is the, you know, is there a cat in the box at all? Does the cat come into existence because you've looked into the box? You know, it's almost like that. You know, you're kind of, kind of um, messing with these the sort of mad, uh, possible paradigms on 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 on, on <laughs> that you don't know the answer to you know yeah did, you know did i cure the person because they were they trusted me to give them something to make them well or did the thing actually work <laughs> uh you know we're, we're very we're kind of still quite primitive on, on that front because the, the the thing we're confronting is too complex to be you know simply sorted out by a simple action that's completely right yeah it's, it's crazy but that, that is why now recently you know, you know the unknown has become something i'm so you know passionate about like leaving space for saying whatever we are discussing you know it's actually just a game you know what i mean it's like something completely useless <laughs> yeah almost like art yeah, that's, we that's are it. sort of just uh, producing uh, some kind of environmental <laughs> problem, <laughs> whatever you know. Yeah, we are, we, I mean, we can't really resolve anything in a certain way. I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say, but yeah, I think I think what's interesting is about being human is that sense of being able to abstract our thoughts and communicate them to other people mm -hmm. so i'm abstracting my thoughts and communicating it to you you know yeah. you know several several different complex means here i'm not we're not even in the same room in the same country um but you're and you're still kind of to to a degree we're understanding what each other is is saying but you know what what we're saying doesn't really kind of completely cover all the bases you know i don't know how you're feeling or you know you could be scratching your bottom at the moment. I wouldn't know, but there's there's a whole 
there's a whole there's enough in our conversation for you to get what I'm I'm thinking about. And if I do a if I make a picture, you know, I'm always saying to people, I'm not going to explain this picture. I, I want you to see, I want you to feel something about it. How does the picture make you feel? Um, because in the end, I don't want to tell you how to feel. Yeah. You know, there are some there are some of my friends who want me to say, what is it? What is it of? Or what is that? You know, rather than, you know, and that that's that just where they're at, you know? Yeah. That's that's the clumsiness of my communication to them. Uh, to somebody else, you know, you, you can show it to somebody else and, and there's like a whole world of narratives opens up for them. And, you know, that's just where they're up to, you know. Um, so we, we are, we are kind of very, we're in a very difficult position of having, producing things that are meant to be talismanic almost. They, they carry uh, power and they carry meaning whilst actually only just being objects, you know. Um, I mean, I could, I could have a lovely pebble in my pocket uh, <laughs> and just love the pebble for being a lovely pebble. Or, you know, somebody else might pick that pebble up and throw it through a window and break a window. But you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. we're, as humans, we ascribe qualities to objects. Um, you know, and they, you can have two objects that do the same thing equally well, but one is more prized than, than the other, you know? Yes. And that's, and that's, that's, that's where we're up to, you know, I'm not, I'm not Vincent van Gogh. Um, I, I don't, I don't, my work may not be seen in the same light as Vincent van Gogh's seminal pieces, but to somebody else, you know, my, my work might be this, just the same as Vincent van Gogh's because we've just basically both started off to produce an artifact to express something and we, we've both achieved the same thing. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. So there's no, there's, to some people there's no difference and to other people, you know, this is like, one of them is like the gold standard of one or other of them, I don't know, but one of them, let's say Van Gogh is the gold, gold standard for a lot of things. And mine mm -hmm. is just uh, just just the bloke take you know who makes photographs. You know, some people would say even photography is not even art. It's uh, you know for quite a long time it wasn't. But when it when it turned up, it did change the way that art art was perceived. You know, people stopped trying to make um, sort of very lifelike paintings of things, and they could go they could shoot off into the world of. Uh, impressionistic things and abstraction and Dadaism and Cubism and, and whatever else because it, you you could then slide into you know subverting what reality is or expressing what your mind is actually showing you know um, and that's that that in itself was an important watershed moment when people found oh well I can record what this lens is, is seeing on, on, on this sensitive film and, and, and make, make something of it and give, give it to somebody and everyone's going, well, that's it. Painting is dead. No, it's not dead. It, it just kind of will shift it, has shifted into a slightly more exciting um, mode where it can bring lots of different ideas into, into life 
and it's about how how you feel when you look at it so these artifacts i think are powerful they are talismanic they have that zeitgeist uh, power and, and i think um yes we can worry about producing things that are just beautiful for the sake of being beautiful or um in stimulating to the point of being stimulating uh but the difficulty then is the deciding whether that is a not a worthwhile pursuit i think intellectually it is because it helps take us somewhere um but maybe maybe i'm wrong again i don't know um, what, what what are you thinking um i'm not thinking. <laughs> I <stopped> thinking i don't know i was thinking something thinking about you being so eloquent and being a journalist and to express things in this way with these words that are quite you know difficult even to learn and so on you know you have such a vast vocabulary and you must have read a lot and you have studied so much and then you refuse to give explanations because you want the person to feel what they're feeling and that makes you a sort of as you said a leonardo or a hybrid because you you know on the one hand you are so capable of words you know and then you are sort of refusing that part of yourself to people you know what i mean yeah i i think i think i've been finding that um having conversations with people about what they're producing has been really valuable in that sense because i i you know if the if i look at somebody's work and it makes me feel excited intrigued empowered um validated challenged um that's me being alive, I think, in certain certain measure, and I get I get to go back to that person and tell them that I really felt something about their work. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's a point where if I if I review people's work, you know, um, somebody somebody's wanted me to write reviews of, of things. Um, I'm again back to telling people what to what to think. I'm, yeah. I can tell people what I I can see, and what it what it makes me feel. Um, I can maybe talk about the references that I can see in that in that thing. You know, there, there are a lot of people who have like really fantastic work that I've been looking at lately on that pop pop up on, on Instagram, and sometimes it's just. It's just uh, you're just kind of holding your breath a bit because it's like ah they've found something that I've never considered before and but then again I like I'm, I'm worried then that if I start telling people what to see I might be spoiling it for them somehow. I know what you mean because I was listening to this Olympian. Yeah. Called I forgot her name now. I have to go soon, by the way. If I want to go running, I have to go soon. Anyway, her name is, I forgot again. It doesn't matter. I can tell you later. And she was a swimmer and so on. And then she was talking, Ritual asked, so what do you recommend to parents? You know, have kids and you, they want to sort of help them become better people or help them become athletes. Or, and she said, learn to listen more, which is also yeah. what you are trying to teach me. You were saying, listen, don't talk, listen. 
And I think, yes, you as a teacher and as an educator, you know, she is saying the best coaches were the ones who could validate the, the client or the athlete's state of feeling about stuff, you know, so they could sort of listen in a way that the other person felt validated and then asked for advice. So yeah. you are saying, I don't want to give the advice before being asked, right? You're saying, I don't want to, you know, barf my opinion there. And then the other person is sort of not free to, you know, feel whatever they are actually feeling and experiencing. But on yeah, the but other hand, once you are asked, you know, it is still a gift. Yes, of course. I mean, but I want to be, I want to be in a dialogue with that person in a way, rather than telling them what to think, you know, if they're looking and, and they're seeing a lot, a lot of stuff, they might be seeing stuff I'm not seeing. I'm, and I'm, I'm actually learning something by yeah. that conversation. Yeah. I'm not just trapped in my own point of view. Yeah. I'm going, oh, right. That's, oh, yeah. I haven't thought but of that before. You are similar to my favorite other Chris. He, because he actually coached me without ever giving me his opinion, right? So he made me run the marathon and then he didn't give me his feedback. Like he just said, Next time you'll see if this was good or he didn't say anything, right? Not good, not bad, not anything. Yeah, but I like I like what he said there. The next time, next time you'll see because in a, in a way you you as a runner will have uh, you would have felt a whole bunch of things running that twenty six is it twenty six miles and I can't remember how many meters it is, but whatever it is, you know, you you'd have run all of that and. In running all of that, you had the story leading up to one uh, starting doing that, the story of training for that, the story of actually doing it, right? How many pages and how many thousands of words would you have to expend to explain that entire experience? In other words, you have you have gathered a lot of a lot of information that are. It's entirely personal to you. Entirely yeah, and exactly. And every word he says is anyway wrong. And that made him the best teacher because he was the one, the only one, right? Yeah. Who wasn't trying to change my perception or my yeah. interpretation. He was actually just there listening. Yeah. And that whole thing of even, it's like when we're talking about um, being in therapy. And so I was talking about somebody just yesterday and I said, they said, so, so what do they make you do? What do they make you do? I said, they don't make me do anything. Um, I said, a lot of the time I'm just talking. And while I'm talking, I'm suddenly listening to myself and picking out the bits that actually make sense and noticing the bits that are nonsense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you've, you've done, you've done that marathon. The next time you start running, uh, again in that situation you'll have thrown away all the bits that were nonsense you'll remember all the bits that were great and actually really work and they work they're, they're personal to you you know if you start the person standing next to you won't have had the same experience as you and they're going to do it differently which is why the olympics doesn't get boring it's because <laughs> there'll be there'll be eight people lined up on that on the on that start line <clears throat> who are who their their running styles will be entirely different from each other. They will have found something in what they do that works. There won't be something they can overlay on somebody else and have work as well. You know, they the the clumsy explanation that your coach would give you of how to do it, 
yeah it's is, incredible is refined yeah. by the fact that you actually have to do it it's yeah he chose this way that he has a podcast and he's doing that for everyone even people who don't pay him and then you know he has his athletes but to those he doesn't really give a lot of um yeah he doesn't he gives you some advice but it's sort yeah. of initial you know to sort of get you going but then yeah it almost like sets the boundaries on the activity okay this if you're yeah. doing these things you're doing the activity right so now let's let's just do the activity in these in these boundaries and then you'll find okay well my bones are a different weight from this other person's bones i've got my muscles are a different length uh my feet are a different size, you know, and there'll be all sorts of things that would then start to inform the way that you're doing it. And that's what, that's what he's saying to you. He's not, he's not looking at you doing it and trying to fix Yeah, he was even as doing things like, now I have a coach who gave me these paces. I already told you, he's saying, okay, run 60 minutes and try to hit six minutes. And it's very good. It's precise, you know? Yeah. But when I worked with Chris, he told me, I told him, he said, go at marathon pace. And then I told him, it was like a few months after I started running. So I said to him, so what will my marathon time be? You know, so I can calculate the pace. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was really angry. And he said, you mean you're training and you don't know? <laughs> <He was like, laughs> you mean you've been training for never knew <laughs> and it's, it is uh yeah he taught me and he's trying to teach people this sort of you know this way of thinking where you have intentions where you do set sort of you know goals and you are you know aware of what you're doing and you're aware of each session for example what it's meant to do in your body yeah but he isn't teaching you in that way that he is actually telling you you know in each email so today you know yeah. he's not babying you into okay today's an easy run because the easy run is making you you know uh sort of <laughs> i don't know exactly what it does but you know i i had that with my climbing coach he was just like he would he was just saying okay we're gonna do this you know i'm gonna climb i'm gonna climb up here and you're gonna basically i'm gonna climb up here you're gonna climb up here your rules are that you must always have three points of contact with the surface you're on and you need to use your fingers to explore to find handholds and footholds for whatever you're doing um and then he just started climbing you know he his his climbing he was going up it as if he was walking like the way <laughs> we would walk along on the ground that's yeah yeah ease of you know, not even really seeming to have any point where he was like worrying about what yeah. was, what he's going to do next. He was just doing it, and then I'm climbing up it, and it's new to me, so my hands are feeling all over the place. And you know, it, it, sometimes he'd shout at me because I only had two points of contact. You know, yeah. and, or I I would push myself suddenly and, and reach for something he said no you can't jump you have to actually you have to stay in contact with the rock because if you jump then of course the only thing that can happen is you're going to fall so um we you know we climb the pitch and then afterwards he'd say yeah that he'd tell you what the difficulty of the pitch was he'd say, that's an extreme that's an extremely difficult pitch you just climbed but because he didn't tell you it was difficult in the first place he just told you what the um you know gave you some basic rules you know you were wearing the right 
equipment and you were you know what i mean it was like yeah. it's a different it's a different thing i mean i was watching some guys doing parkour you know i used to kind of not get parkour at all because it's like it was, well, this is like a really stupid activity i would think you know why running and jumping on bits of buildings and you know, leaping across gaps and uh, what's the point but then you watch people doing it like a group of people doing it and it's like absolutely fascinating because they're doing stuff that you wouldn't even consider doing but because they know they they know what the grammar of that particular language that is parkour is about not i'm not meaning speaking language i mean doing language um you know what would seem like a really crazy thing why am i going to leap you know six meters across this gap and then and then dance across the side of this building and then uh, throw my hand up on top of here and pull myself up to here and then leap up you know that to them is exciting because they've found it's experiential they've done it before they'll try things out you know and it works and it goes into it goes into their it goes into their, their toolbox of, of tools to use to do that particular activity you know when i when i did climbing for the first time I, I came back and i was looking at the sides of buildings and up the sides of bridges i think i could climb that i think i think you know you, you start seeing the world differently and that's yeah and that's what that's what he was teaching you he was teaching you to actually not be in your mind but to be you know in, in the space just doing it just being yeah he was a great teacher and having lost him <laughs> it's sort of like you know yeah but then the bit you're the bit i guess you're forgetting is that for all the things he told you that might only be about three percent of what you actually do when you're doing it the other 97 is entirely but i'm totally grateful for creation. what he hasn't told me <laughs> that is what <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> you see so your, your anxiety about what he's not telling you yeah but this is that, exactly that, what that makes was, you similar to him chris it actually makes you both similar because you are saying you are actually not giving anyone your you know your secret thoughts and your knowledge and your wisdom you know what i mean but it's 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 the reason why i find watching say louisa really um inspiring because she just she just is you know and she does what she does so beautifully and with such elan and it's like why would i why would i ever sit there and try and deconstruct her technique nothing there's nothing to deconstruct it you watch it because it is the essence of what it is to be an artist you just look and you just go yeah this is this is somebody who just exudes yes but don't forget she's an art historian You know what I mean? She has yeah. media education. She's. I mean, there's, there's so much I don't know about her. I mean, what? Yeah, I, me too. I don't, I don't know anything, but we still know, you know. And that is what I was trying to tell you another time when we were talking. I said yeah. you're already successful because you are, and we don't exactly know why. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, we don't explain things on a rational level anymore. No. Here we are with the with the mystery, you know. Yeah. Why do we know? Why do we just simply know things like that? We just know them without even, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I just, I mean, I just, I just love watching this, watching people working. I mean, uh, there's some really great videos of Brianna 
um what is her second name she she goes as brianna lulu on um instagram uh just amazing just amazing to watch you know and just it's meditative it, they are in the, they are in the moment I, I was having the same discussion with Louisa about being in this meditative state when you're when you're doing creative work you're not you're not in your head in the sense of being you know your normal being you're on a different you're on a different level together your body is actually functioning um beyond your just your conscious thought Literally. yeah because this is what they call mastery right yeah it's sort of when you've already gone so many times you've walked this path right that you're just like a cat I mean, you're, yeah you're just doing it without thinking anymore yeah and the only time it goes wrong is if there's something your you mind ah have. there is another information that this andrew vile gave yeah he said that the drugs he was some substances and he said when he was doing the substance he could go into any yoga pose or you know or he could walk on colds hot colds fire fire walking yeah. and so on and he said that what the drug did it was well, it took your mind away you know and then you Take could the mind out of the way yeah yes and he when... said once you've taken the drug you've you've learned your lesson it has already you don't need the drug anymore you know if you've understood this is not using drugs this is more the drug that leads you to you know yeah to enlightenment let's say yeah. it's like a one-time thing okay because you're both oh wow you know i can do this yeah it's it's when your body's saying you can't do it you know it's like yeah it's the mind taken away from the body sort of you know and then in this space the body can sort of <laughs> do everything because the mind isn't holding it back anymore because the drug has sort of interfered with the mind yeah exactly and, and that is maybe what we call mastery you know what i mean it's like when you have this incredible um mindlessness already it's like the flow the complete flow where yeah. the mind isn't ruling anymore because the body knows exactly what to do without the help of the conscious th thought patterns that are sort of saying you know yeah and it, and that is you know that is true That's... it's mastery it's what we call mastery or flow state right yeah the body is allowing itself to that you're you're your mind is actually very slow and clumsy uh, and very limited in the way yes. it sees things. And consequently, it's not able to do anything very, very well, apart from those things that require it to interpret something and translate it into, some, into the same clumsy language that we're trying to use to talk to each other, for instance, at the moment. Right, you know? right which is more or less all wrong if we're really analyzing it. Like no sentence withholds any, you know? Yeah. Uh, truth. A, <laughs> I mean, if we a, analyze it deeply, there is nothing true about anything we say. It's uh, like trying to produce a Rembrandt with, with, with one fat crayon. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It, that's exactly it. And so that is what Chris was trying to teach me. <laughs> the person who is silent in the in the way that they are just listening opening their ears you know yeah 
really talking because you know just the fact that who they have become that it's already the energy in the room that is already bringing about this incredible you know contribution that they have to the yeah. world which is like, I have now because unfortunately I have yoga in, in 90 minutes and I need to run and I don't even know how long the run is so it's probably more than an hour um, so I have to go okay. now yeah we can talk but that was what I meant when I said you are already successful in the sense you know all these actions that you have accumulated in your life have sort of made you into who you are now you know and then yeah. the rest is just energy that's already there. So you don't have to... And you're ready. Okay, you're breaking up now. So I can't quite hear you. But yeah. So the last uh, part of this interview, it's lost now because uh, I changed the room. And Chris Ward was gone. I'm sorry that you cannot listen to the end. Uh, I had to go running, so we just abruptly ended the interview. And thank you for listening, everyone. Chris Ward will be back again, and I'll publish this episode now. I hope you have fun with it. <laughs>